Connection lost, connection found. Connection lost, connection found. This is not the topic of my sermon. It keeps losing the connection, so I'm just going to try to figure it out. Not doing it, brother, so I'm depending on you guys. Team approach. In it, welcome to Five Forks Baptist Church. It's time for the pastor to preach now. <laughs> Just act like none of that happened. We'll, we'll get it going. We're, the first passage I want us to look at is from Micah, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now, listen to this passage. You, you know this passage, at least part of it. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops, They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now I want to stop right there. I want to go back to that verse. in just a minute. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This is a prophecy given, and let's see, let me get to verse 5. Verse 5 is just a one alone prophecy. Uh, First part of uh, and this one will be our peace. Now this prophecy from uh, Micah talks about this one ruler who's going to come, who will be born in a place called Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now Bethlehem, well, we had a great time. We had the gingerbread house bash. We had a good time with that. We had a, all the little people who got together and all the big people got together and helped them mess it up. And it was beautiful and it was tasty and it was all wonderful. But I talked to the kids about this word, this name Bethlehem. This name means house of bread. It's two uh, Hebrew words put together to make a word. House of bread. And Ephrathah means uh, fruitful. So house of bread that is fruitful. This is, this is in Micah's prophecy. This is the place that the Christ would come, the Messiah would come, prophesied you know, hundreds of years before it took place. And the person, this person is spoken of, we know is Jesus Christ, but this person is one who's going to be a ruler. He's going to take over. He's going to be in charge. And this one ruler will be the one who uh, brings peace. Now this prophecy is... is is powerful in what it says, and people who would have been in the first, uh, when Jesus came to this earth and, and was born in the manger in Bethlehem, people would have been looking for the ruler to come. And I'll tell you why more later, how we know that they were looking, and, and why they would know they were looking. One thing, they knew exactly where he was going to come, because he was going to come to Bethlehem. Even those who hated him, uh, even those who eventually hated him, and those who wanted to kill him wanted to know, Herod wanted to know, where is he going to be born? They said, well, it says that Micah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So everybody knew that the Messiah was coming to Bethlehem one day. And before we get finished today, you'll know how they knew that he was coming at that time. 
the Bible, the prophecies, the prophets that God sent. By the way, God always sends prophets ahead of time to tell what's going to happen. He always tells ahead of time what he's about to do. He doesn't do things in secret like uh, some things are, uh, we don't understand that he does that are secret that only he knows about. But when he's getting ready to do something, he sends a message through the prophet. And we have the message even yet of what he's going to do in the future. And today we're going to learn some of that if we didn't know it already. So let's move on to the, the next prophet, the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we have this prophecy. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, I want to stop there. Galilee of the Gentiles. The word Gentiles can be translated nations. But here it has... Jesus the Christ comes to Galilee, and you know that. It was in Nazareth, there in Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, on the other side of the Jordan. You see what's going on with all of this Mediterranean Sea, the Jordan River, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Galilee area where Jesus uh, came and grew up. Uh, when you see that, you understand that this prophecy is talking about that hundreds of years before it took place. And he's going to tell us some things hundreds of years before it happens even in our lifetimes, the things that may happen, uh, God will show us. But it is for everybody. So I want to jump up and down and stomp and shout and wave my arms and say, it's for everybody. Everybody. God did not choose Israel just for Israel. God chose Israel to be the messenger nation to tell the world. And they dropped the baton. They didn't hand it off. So God says, well, since you didn't do it, I'm going to raise up some Gentiles to do it. And, and boy, did he do it. And by the way, that's what you see going on right now. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Jesus is the light of the world. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod, on their, the rod of their oppressor as a, the battle of Midian. You remember Gideon in the battle of Midian? For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. <clears throat> and here's the part that you know. And when I start reading this, some of you are going to go to start, you're going to start singing. Now, just keep it to yourself a little bit. It'll be all right. And you'll have that, I'm not going to do it because I can't. But it's in there. For un and you're going to do it in the King James Version, but this is not the King James Version. <laughs> For unto us a child is born. You know, it's going to happen. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now listen to this. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We all need that, don't we? We need all of that. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Go back to verse 6. Child will be born to us. 
The government will rest on his shoulders. Now, has that happened yet? Is that happening now? What's going on now? How does this fit now? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. And I don't know what you need. You need any counsel? I'm looking, you know, I need counseling. <clears throat> if you think you don't need counseling, you really need counseling. You're the, you're the one that's standing out as the most needful. Uh, he's a wonderful counselor. He gives his counsel from his word. <clears throat> if you haven't been reading the Bible, pick up the Bible, read a chapter a day. Just read a chapter a day. If you have any questions, write them down, and I'll find somebody who can answer those. And you can, you can ask me, and if I don't know, I'll find somebody. And if we don't know, we'll ask God when we get there. <clears throat> but most of the time, when you're studying and reading a, uh, from the, in the Bible, there is a clear explanation for what you're reading. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there is. So read a chapter a day. Ask God to show you what He's saying to you in that chapter. Now, that chapter was written in different parts of the Bible. Different chapters are written for different groups of people at the time in which they were written. The meaning of any given passage is to the original audience that it was written to. You know that. So it, not everything in the Bible is written to you, but everything written in the Bible is written for you. That's very important. Some people pull verses out and try to make it walk on all fours and act like, you know, there's something different. No, 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 stop it. The Bible in context tells you exactly what you need to know. And it's so full, you don't need to make up anything. <clears throat> and so anyway, we have a wonderful counselor. He said he's mighty God. Mighty God. This little baby born in a manger is mighty God. God, almighty God, came and took on human flesh in a, in a manger, in a little baby. <clears throat> I don't know if, I know sometimes some of you new moms and new dads feel threatened by those little people when they come and, and they take over your life, and they rule your life from the crib and all of that. But you're not really afraid of them, are you? Yeah. But if God came in all of his glory and grandeur, you'd fall on your face and be afraid of him. So he came to this earth as a little baby. And you'd think he'd be born in a palace. He said, no, I think a manger will be just fine. Now, a manger's a feeding trough. Let's just paint it like it is. When we say manger, we think, oh, just beautiful pictures and this. Uh, a feeding trough. This is, this is where the animals slobber. Now that's not where you're going to put your baby, is it? But God came down to the very depths of humanity to save the very depths of humanity. As low as you can get, He came. And the Bible says eventually He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He's fulfilling that prophecy of justice and righteousness from the inside out. He wants to change people's hearts. And when people's hearts change, what they do changes and, and things change all around us. It says the eternal Father. <clears throat> eternal. So the one that comes in the manger is the one who made everything, including the materials that made the manger. He made his mother. Stretch that for a while. How many of you, if you could have picked and made your own mother, what would you have done? Well, Jesus made Mary. She said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Eternal Father, this will blow your mind. It was blown my mind already. I had to reboot and see if I could talk today while thinking about it. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. We need peace. You know when you're going to have peace? You know when you're going to have peace? You're going to have peace when Jesus comes. 
Now, you'll have peace when Jesus comes into your life, when you ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, when he comes to live inside of you by his Spirit. You have peace with God, just like that. He comes in and he takes over and he just permeates your whole being and he begins to change you from the inside out. It's uncomfortable at first because you think, oh, uh, you know, oh, no, I got to go. And God's just moving. He changes the way you talk, changes the way you think, and changes the way you treat people. And sometimes the, the difference is drastic. Uh, some people that you grew up with say, <clears throat> is that you? Are you in there? Where's that guy that I grew up with? You're so different. And you go, what do you mean? So you're not as, well, we won't describe what you were like before, but you're not like that anymore. Is that what happened to you? Well, to some degree, it happens to everybody when they receive Christ. He begins to change you, begins to work from inside out, and brings you peace. Now, the world's not going to have peace until Jesus comes in all of his glory, physically present when he descends in the clouds and he snatches up the church and says, I've got you with me. And then he pours out his wrath on the earth. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But he's got to do a lot of changing. He's got to wipe a lot of things out in order to bring peace to this world. And don't think that we're going to bring peace. Oh boy, please don't think that somehow we're going to usher in peace. If you, there's some people, there are people out there. I respect them, but I disagree with them respectfully. Is that we're going to win everybody to Christ, and eventually Jesus will come when we're finished. Really, I can't find it in here, but that doesn't stop some people. I don't know. Let's go back to verse seven. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Boy, don't we need that and look forward to that. And it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we don't do it. God does it. God promised through his prophets that this was going to happen. It will happen. God makes sure. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal. God is intentionally zealous about doing this. And he started... When he sent Jesus the first time, he dealt with the real problem that got us all into this mess to begin with. Sin, that disobedience to God that says, God, I want to be in charge, not you. And now, it can, you can be that tall and be that way. I want it my way, and that's it. I want it the way. You, Christmas is the worst time. Oh, my. Just start handing out gifts and watch the children fight. I mean, it is a joyful time of fighting. <laughs> and it's just one of those things. And, and we do it a little differently as adults. We don't grab each other's toys and say, I wish I had that. But we think it. Yeah, they got that new car, that new truck. They got, oh, I can't believe it. We'll never, we'll never be able to put, rub two nickels together. We'll never get there. And, you know, and, and Merry Christmas. Our problem is sin. We, we think somehow we should be in charge or we should have what we want. When you want what God, God wants, you're content. Contentment is wanting what you have. Contentment is wanting what you have. What do you have? There you go. So I don't want, I want more. Well, too bad. You don't always get more. And sometimes you get more, it ends up being less because you don't have sense enough to appreciate it. Just saying, you know, you probably ought to move on to the next passage. Uh, I've gone to insulting and meddling now. And I was talking about the people sitting beside you. <laughs> the prophet Isaiah told us about Christ. He's the light, the deliverer, the child, the ruler. Isaiah, what a passage, what a passage. 
Now, one of my favorite passages is the next passage, and it's what I want to close with. It's one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible, and that's one reason I love it so much, but I love it more because, not because it's difficult and challenging, but because it's so clear in what it's actually saying. The details, sometimes people get a little confused, but this talks about what God was doing a long time ago and what He's doing a long time from now. And what he's doing right now. Daniel chapter 9 says, Seventy weeks. Now let me stop there. This is literally seven, seventy sevens. So seventy sevens. Uh, weeks are weeks of years. Uh, a prophetic week of years. So this is 490 years. 490 years have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Listen to what is going to happen. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Look at that list. This is the, the, the culmination of what God is doing in the world today. All of the things that are happening, there has to be this end of sin, there has to be this, this, this time in which God is going to finish the transgression. This is fascinating. There's coming a time when God is going to put an end to all the mess that's happening in this world. So, Lord Jesus, come. Do it now. Do it now. Now, I want to tell you something that I've been saying recently, and, and I keep, it keeps coming back. If I were God, and we all don't want to think about that. If I were God, I would do exactly what he's doing right now. Because God is perfect. He never does anything wrong. He's always perfectly right. What he's doing right now is right. So when you see the world the way it is and how things, the things the way they are, you say, once God would do something, you watch out. You would mess it up. What God is doing in the world right now is what he needs to do. He's patiently waiting, patiently inviting people. See, if God just started right now and just caused everything to culminate and everything to end. There will be people who will be left out because they haven't surrendered to Christ yet. They haven't received Jesus yet. He's patiently waiting until the last person will come to Christ. And you might be one of those people he's waiting on. He's waiting for you. He's very patiently waiting for you. He's pulling and tugging at your heart. He's convicting you of your sin. He's reminding you that you need him. And you might be ignoring him, but if you keep ignoring him, you'll be ignorant. Ignorant, ignorant, that's what I'm saying. Don't do that. Seventy, seventy weeks have been decreed. Now this is de decreed. God said this is, this is what's going to happen. 490 years have been decreed. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Now this is in Daniel's time. Now Daniel was back during the Babylonian captivity. That was a week or two ago. If you know history, that was a long, long time ago. So what is he talking about? Let's continue. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. Now let's look at that verse. There's going to be, from, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, now the, uh, they're in captivity. They're coming back from the Babylonian captivity. This is a time during Ezra and Nehemiah's time. <clears throat> this decree is going to be given, and it was given in history, by the way. 
It's already happened. From that decree until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks. I've got it all written down here about the decrees. It could be the decree by Cyrus or Artaxerxes. Those are the two I've landed on. And I feel strongly both ways. I feel strongly more one way than the other, but it doesn't really matter. Let me explain that as I move along. This, that, wait a minute, I'll go back to that verse. Uh, yeah, verse, verse 25. There we go. You're to know this, he said, you're to know this, that from the issuing of a decree. So there was a, a decree issued by Cyrus for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. That happened in history, and there was a decree by Artaxerxes, similar to that. That uh, So if it was the decree by Cyrus, then it would end up about 27 A.D. when Jesus was baptized. We think that was about the year he was baptized. Somewhere in there. If it was Artaxerxes, then it would be about the time Jesus entered triumphal entry into the Jerusalem. Now, so it doesn't really matter which one you look at, whichever decree you're using, Whichever one you think it is, and scholars disagree on it, and <clears throat> I haven't picked my favorite yet, but I think it's Cyrus. Anyway, I have picked it, I guess, anyway. What's the point? Now, think about this. From that decree until Messiah the Prince, from the decree that is given, there's going to be 483 years, and the Messiah will show up. So anybody who has understood the prophets understood Daniel's prophecy, would have been looking for the Messiah to show up in the time he showed up. And he, can't, he couldn't show up before, and he can't show up now. He had to show up within that time frame that Jesus came to this earth. So they were looking for the Messiah. Now it doesn't say exactly what year, but it's pretty close. Depending on which way you look at it, it's either... Wow, it's just an amazing thing that this prophecy does. And it says it will be built again with plaza and moat, and it talks about the, even some of the design of what's going to happen there. Even in times of distress, this prophecy tells us when the Messiah would come. And he did come exactly when this prophecy said he would. Does that roll your, does that roll your socks up and down? It does mine. Verse 26. Let's go to that. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. So Jesus was cut off. He died and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, that's Antichrist, who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now we've jumped quite a bit. Jesus died 483 years. There's 490 years in this, in this prophecy. 483 years have already been uh, covered. But there's a seven-year period of time that hasn't been covered yet. When that seven-year period of time has yet to be. What's that all about? Well, I don't have time to go into all of this. Maybe I'll go into it some, uh, again another time. But to show you that there, there are gaps sometimes in a prophecy. You'll have sometimes a prophecy that is given and in one sentence. They'll have the coming of Christ the first time and the coming of Christ the second time in the same sentence. And you can't tell it in the sentence, but you know it. Look, you look at the fulfillment and you say, wait a minute. This is a, uh, there's a gap there. Well, there's a gap. Jesus, uh, the Messiah was cut off, and there's a gap there. Let's go to verse 27. 
Now this is talking about the prince that's coming, not the, not the Messiah, but the what well, we can we call him the Antichrist, the, the man of sin uh, that you read about in First uh, in Second Thessalonians. If you're a student of the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. It says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's that's for seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So there's the abomination of desolation. You ever heard that phraseology? Uh, The abomination of desolation. This is this antichrist, this man of sin, this one that's coming that will take the place of Christ. He's going to come and say, I'm Christ. Those who are not Christians will become Christians in the sense that they think he's the Christ and they'll follow him. Everybody will follow him except for those who are the elect of God, those who are the chosen in Christ of God. If you're in Christ, he'll say, wait a minute, that's not him. And everybody's going to say, you Christians, you just always talking about following Christ, following Christ. Now he shows up, now you say that's not him. What's wrong with you people? Well, we've read ahead. Because when God starts to do something, he sends a prophet to tell you what he's going to do. And he told us hundreds of years ahead of time, we ought to know by now what's going to happen before Jesus comes again. And this is the kind of stuff that just, just, it's amazing. It's amazing. He will make a firm covenant at the beginning of this seven-year period of time. This Antichrist, anti is against Christ and anti is in place of Christ, will make a covenant with Israel. You know they practice all the time. They're making covenants all the time. You ever notice that? We're going to make. Every time somebody says uh, Israel's making some kind of covenant with somebody, some kind of agreement with somebody, everybody looks, what's this about? Well, there's more to all of this than we're going to cover today, but I wanted to show you that God sends his prophets. He sends his prophets. That God is not finished. He is in the process of moving us toward this time when these final years take place. What's going to happen in history? We already know. We already, we've read the book. We know. We've read the message. We know what's going to happen. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew, and uh, Matthew 24. You can read about it in the book of Revelation and all kinds of things. So, well, Pastor, it just confuses me. I, I know. It's, it's so terrible. I'm so sorry. But it takes a lot of work sometimes to concentrate and read and study. But once you do... The fruit of it is very, very wonderful. The prophet Daniel told us about Christ, the coming Messiah, the Prince, and he is coming again one day. His coming has been predicted by himself, obviously, by the prophets even before, uh, before he came the first time. Most of the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah are about his second coming, about what's going to happen at the end. Not him coming the first time, but the second time. And so you can see why some people would be studying and they would miss it. They'd say, ah, we're looking for the great king to come and take over and defeat the Romans. And you can see why the disciples would even think, yeah, this is it. This is going to bring in the kingdom. And he goes, ah, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom is near you, even in your heart. And he talked about God ruling your heart. Before he talked about God ruling the world, ruling your heart. And that's what matters. Do you know Christ? If the whole world were wonderful, 
if everything was just peaceful, nobody was at each other's throats, which it couldn't be that way because people's hearts are messed up. That's the problem. But even if all your environment around you was perfect, you would still mess up. Ask Adam and Eve. Perfect environment, perfect parent, and they disobeyed God. And so we need help. Help is on its way. Jesus is coming again. So we celebrate the coming of Christ the first time. We look forward to the second coming. It was a tremendous thing. What a tremendous study it is to think about the second coming of Christ and when we think about his first coming at Christmas. And so Jesus came so that we could know him. And the specific prophecies are amazing, just amazing accuracy. So that tells you this, and I want to finish with this. If the prophecies in Micah and Isaiah and Daniel were completely accurate, and they were, there was a time when they were predicting the future. This is what's going to happen in the future. Well, then it happened. Now we look back and say, it predicted the future. It happened us in the past. And we sing about it and we talk about it and all of that. But are we thinking about what he said is going to happen in the future yet? Oh, the greatest things are yet to come. And you have a part in what God is doing in the world. Your part is to determine which side you're on. There was a story about, I'm going to put my Bible down over here. There's a story of a, uh, an elderly lady who, she attended church every Sunday, and, and they, they would wheel her in in a wheelchair, and she, she couldn't hear hardly anything. You had to yell at her, and, and, and she couldn't see anything, and uh, really hardly ever anything at all, too. But they wheel her in, and, and you know what I'm talking about, because you've settled into your place. Generally, people tend to, tend to sit in the same place every Sunday. If you move, I won't think you came to church Sunday. <laughs> he wasn't there. So some of you do move. It's kind of disturbing. But she didn't move. She always the same place. They would park her in the same place every Sunday. Everybody wondered why she would come to church. She couldn't hear the music. She couldn't see anything. Um, so the pastor decided to ask her one day. So Mrs. So-and-so, why do you come to church every Sunday? He had to get down in her ear and yell. It looked from across the room, it probably looked bad. The pastor's yelling at this woman. Why do you come to church? Anybody would understand if you stayed home, why do you come to church? Why? And her reply is why I tell this story. I want everybody to know whose side I'm on. That was her reply. She said, she getting anything out of it? She understanding anything? No. She couldn't hear or see. She came and she got parked in that same place every week. So I want everybody to know whose side I'm on. And that's kind of the way it is. Whose side are you on? You're either on the side of the devil or on the side of the Lord Jesus. Which side are you on? You might be on the side of the devil and be in this room. That could happen. As a matter of fact, it happens more than we want to talk about. You may not even know you're on the wrong side. It could happen to you. I don't want it to happen to you. I want everybody to know Jesus. Boy, that was... What do you want for Christmas? I want people to know Jesus. I want you to know Christ. You know what would be terrible for me? And I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to convince you. There are two different ones. I, if I could, could manipulate you, I would. I would. If, if it would help. 
I want to be able to say, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't this be a great thing for me to be able to say? Every time I preach the gospel, everybody who ever heard me preach the gospel surrendered to Christ. See, it would be terrible for me to think that you heard the gospel today and you walk out and you forget it. That would be just terrible for me. It would be worse for you. So get this. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for you. It's like chasing somebody down and tackle that person and say, I'm trying to help you. That's the way I feel sometimes. I just want, I want you to go to heaven. What's so bad about that? I want you to be forgiven. I want you to have peace in your heart. What an awful person I am. I'm so terrible. I love you. Oh, stop it. Don't love me. That's the way we feel. That's the way it is. And, and I don't want you to miss, I don't want to be in the way either. Like, I'll, I'll, here you are uh, thinking about Christ and your need for Christ. And I say something that turns you, in, ah, I don't want that to happen either. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a synopsis of what the Bible message is all about. The whole Bible is talking about that. What you get paid for your sin is death. You die physically, you die spiritually. Death spiritually is to be separated from God forever. That's spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's the gift. That's the side I'm on. I'm on, that, I'm on that gift side. I'm in the receiving mode. Just, Lord, you just give me what I need because, boy, am I needy. I need your forgiveness. I need your righteousness. I don't have it. I need you to change me. I need, I need, I need, I need. Here I am, Lord. So which side are you on? And if you haven't decided yet, today's the day for you to decide. And we decide now. One of the greatest Christmases you'll ever have. If you haven't received Christ today, you're receiving today, Christmas will take on a whole new meaning. Life will change for you. Let's stand together as we pray together. Ask God to help us. Father, I thank you for the time we've spent together today. What a tremendous reminder that when you start to do something, you tell, your, you tell ahead of time what's going to happen. What an amazing thing that we've seen today. Lord, for those who are here today and saying, you know, I'm not really sure. I really want to make sure that I know Christ. I want to make sure that I'm ready for heaven. I want to make sure that I'm ready to live here. If that's you, would you just talk to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my disobedience. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, that I could be made right with God. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life take over every aspect of my life. I surrender everything to you. All I am and all I have is yours. I belong to you. And in that commitment to Christ, your prayer today, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he promised that you have eternal life in him. He promised that as many as received him to them gave you power to become the children of God, you become a child of God. You need to find out what's next, how to walk with Christ in your new life. And we want to help you with that. So let me know if that is a commitment you made today so that I can help you with that. And Lord, for all of us who are here today, this is a time of year we think about all kinds of things. We think about family. We think about what's happening all around us. We think about people who are not with us anymore. And we're sad and, and this is difficult. And Lord, we also think about uh, what's going to happen uh, in our families, and we think about the joys of new, new babies being born and coming into the world, and all of the things mixed together. 
And yet we find ourselves very anxious because we're not, we're not trusting you like we should. I pray today that every person here would find that trust. You can trust a God who tells you ahead of time what's going to happen. He not only knows what's going to happen in your life, but He's guiding you and He loves you. He loves you more than you can know. He loves those that you love more than you can love them. So trust God. And as we sing this invitation to Him today, just surrender everything to the Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.